Don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church. That's under attack. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have an interesting subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and head and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. You can go ahead and check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar at Our Mighty Fortress. The page is growing more and more every day, and we'd love to have you. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. That's where a lot of everything is hosted at. Also, if you feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way through our work, please tell us at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I want to talk about a biblical story that is nearer to us today than we might initially think. We're going to take a look at chapter 9 in the book of John in the New Testament. This is a very powerful story about a blind man that has a whole chapter dedicated to him in the scriptures. There are some pretty funny points in the story, and if you just put yourself as someone who is watching it play out, kind of imagine how it's taking place, it's, it's pretty funny. The story takes up a whole chapter, but it is completely worthwhile to read the entire thing in context. The theme of this podcast is about those who have a blind and vain religion. Though as we progress through the narrative, I want us to be careful about being too harsh upon the so-called villains of the story, because once we get into it, you may very well be that villain as well, but we'll talk more about that later. I want to see the different aspects of the characters, not only as it reads, but how it's not much different from how we are today. In the end, I hope that you'll look at yourself and see what character you actually identify with and that you don't have a blind religion. With that introduction, let's get right into this. Let's begin our journey in the book of John, chapter 9, and starting in verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
the first thing that I want to note is the fact that the disciples of Christ automatically jumped to the wrong conclusion about the blind man. While they were wrong, we should be careful here about being too harsh because once again, with that question, we do the same exact thing at times. We don't always point to others and say this sort of thing, but we we essentially say it when we point to ourselves and our own lives and we have this tendency to jump to oh no god what did i do wrong what did i do to deserve this mentality we first have to think if, about if we sinned and thus received the punishment from god sure if we're being a bad boy or bad girl then yeah a good heavenly father is going to lay the chastisement down hebrews chapter 12 talks about that while yes that can be true about active sin don't automatically jump to that conclusion first because if you're without sin and you're striving to walk with the Lord, just because something negative happens in your life doesn't mean the hand of chastisement is upon you. Maybe, just maybe, God is working with you. It also shows the mentality of the people of this time and, and really how they viewed the blind man because he was condemned for something he did not do. And mind you, this is a blind man. <laughs> this story would have been a whole lot different if this man was cared for properly and not written off by society. Let's take a look at verses number three through five. Quote, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. End quote. This tells us that we have to really be careful about not treating the almighty God like the pagans and their little g-gods like in Buddhism or Hinduism and their concept of karma. Look, nothing gets by our Heavenly Father. And if you're patient, you may just later learn of the reason for the trial that you're going through. I talk more about this in podcast number six, so you can check that out for more on this particular topic. Now, the next set of scriptures is pretty fascinating. Let's look at John chapter 9, going through verses 6 through 7. It says, quote, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. End quote. A man who was born blind came out seeing for the very first time. Now, there are a few questions you have to ask here. First, why didn't Jesus just speak the word and say that he is healed? He did it plenty of other times with other people. Bless them for their faith. And this man had the faith. So why didn't he just say the word? Why did Christ take the time to spit on the ground and make clay and then anoint the blind man's eyes. That in itself didn't heal him because he was then told to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Why go through all the actions? Well, it's important to know that this was the Sabbath day, and according to the strict rules set forth, not from God, mind you, but from the religious councils, to do this simple task was considered work. 
Such a task would be criticized as breaking the law and sin in the eyes of the Pharisees. Why did Jesus choose this method? Because it was a smack in the face of the religious nonsense that was taking place. It was about to point out the inconsistencies in how the Pharisees taught the word of God. It could have also been a play on words, especially with the translation for the word Salome being sent. Like Jesus was sending a message to the religious leaders. Kind of ironic. I believe it was uh, because there's many points in the Gospels where he did this sort of thing. Let's continue our story in verse 8 through 12. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore they said unto him, How are thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. End quote. This was an important verification that the man had indeed been blind. The people were astounded at this man who had been previously blind and begging on the streets, but now he's been given his sight. The preacher of old, J.C. Ryle, once said, quote, To give sight to one who had not lost the use of eyes by disease or accident, but had never seen at all, was of course a mighty miracle, end quote. We do not know how many people were actually in this particular group. I mean, we're not talking about a city of millions of people that, you know, wouldn't have seen this man on their daily goings. So there are plenty of people here that saw him every single day. They knew what he looked like. They knew that time when he came up to them asking them for money or for charity. So it was definitely a very important verification of the miracles that Jesus performed. Let's continue in verses 13 through 19. It says, quote, They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? End quote. We see that when the man was brought before the Pharisees, they were so hung up on the fact that he was healed on the Sabbath day. They were so distraught that Jesus didn't keep their man-made traditions that they could care less that the miracle took place. They instead accused Jesus of being a sinner, so the miracle couldn't possibly have happened from a sinner. Now think about that for a moment. How twisted do you have to be not to be amazed that a blind man was miraculously healed? That's absolutely astounding. We see other stories of this, like 
when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They were mad at Jesus from raising from the dead, and they wanted to kill Jesus and kill Lazarus again. I mean, I don't know. Self-preservation might have just kicked in, and I would not mess with a man who had power over life and death. But the Pharisees were obviously demon-possessed or something to just ignore that type of uh, concept. It's, it truly is astounding. How wicked and proud do you have to be not to just run and bow at Jesus' feet? Well, there are plenty of men at that time that did that type of thing. Let's continue in verse number 20, going through 23. It says, quote, His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who, who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. End quote. We see that the parents of this former blind man were too afraid of the Pharisees to even answer the truth about his condition. Some of these men could have been a part of the Sanhedrin and thus had the power to punish the entire family. Were the parents rightfully afraid? Sure, in a sense, but they did let that fear control them in being deceitful and, and really just having too much of the fear of man. They're still held accountable for that type of thing. The proud and arrogant action of the Pharisees it just continues to shine through all of the Gospels. You see another account of this type of thing where Jesus is responding to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. It says, quote, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have uh, to have done and not leave the other undone, end quote. Now notice that Jesus didn't criticize the above and beyond that the Pharisees went, but that they forgot the weightier matters of the law, which made the previous just null and void, really. Let's continue on into verse 24 through 26. It says, quote, Then again called they the man that was blind and said, Go unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Wow, that's powerful right there. Continue on, it says, Then say to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? End quote. The Pharisees wanted the man to give God the praise and reject the action of what Christ had done, all because of their perception of him being a sinner for healing a person on the Sabbath day, which is insane. You figure, if I saw a man blind that can now see, I would be fascinated with the miracle. But this is just not how they thought. The arrogance here is just utterly astounding. It almost seems unbelievable that they would just nitpick so much on these things. But this takes place in Israel today, believe it or not. When we visited Israel in 2018, the hotel we stayed in had Sabbath elevators where it would literally stop on every single floor without pushing buttons. 
because to the Jews, to push an elevator button was work and thus you would break the Sabbath, which is utter nonsense. There was one time the other elevators were kind of, uh, there's a waiting line for them. And I didn't realize that this particular elevator was the Sabbath elevator. That's why it was open. And so my wife and I get in and we're like, oh no, right away you just knew because level two, level three, we lived on level 10, I think it was. And <laughs> sure enough, every single floor, oh, it was annoying. Let's move on in verse 27 through 29. He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> That's funny. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. End quote. This next part could seriously be be something of a comedy sketch as this conversation's going on just really put yourself like in the same room and you're just watching it i mean can you imagine on one hand the man's response to the pharisees is is pretty funny would ye also be his disciple <laughs> just can you imagine the anger on their faces uh, of course at the same time that's also pretty sad the hate for Jesus was so real that the Pharisees could care less about the miraculous healing. Let's look at verses 30 through 33. It says, The men answered and said unto him, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes? Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. End quote. The former blind man teaches the religious leaders about the word of God, and this just utterly irritates them. He's even astounded at their ignorance. He very much said that if this man were not of God... He couldn't even have done this in the first place. He couldn't have healed. So what are you mad about? And that's just a paraphrase. But just think. He's like, I can just see the confusion on the man's face. He's overwhelmed with joy that he can actually see for the first time. And he can't figure out why these Pharisees aren't happy about his um, new condition. You know, Verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So sad. So very sad. The pride and arrogance just stands out in this verse. They try to insult the former blind man by saying, you know, well, you're born in sin, so who are you to teach us? You know, just referring back to his plight. There are many false teachers like this today that will be held accountable one day like the Pharisees, at the judgment of God and Christ for their actions. To twist the word of God and say these types of things to a man that was miraculously healed by God? Hmm. In the end, the Pharisees cast the man out of the synagogue. Let's look at verse 35 through 38. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. End quote. 
we have to keep in mind that when Jesus met the man previously, he was blind. He was told to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and then the man came out seeing. So the man had not seen Christ's face until now. We see that the man was overwhelmed with gratitude, and he bowed himself before Jesus. Notice that Jesus asked if the man believed on the Son of God. It wasn't that he was just claiming to be a prophet, but was in fact God's divine Son. This is another instance where Jesus accepted worship as God, and it showed that he was truly divine. Let's finish the chapter, verse number 39 through 41. It says, And Jesus said, For the judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be blind. And some of the Pharisees which are with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. End quote. Jesus relates to the people and to the Pharisees about the purpose of, in his coming. He also responds to the sin nature of man by the Pharisees' questions. He was saying that those who lack the humility to admit that they are blind spiritually cannot be saved as long as they are in that state. The blind man had nothing to lose and nothing to offer God except himself. He was at the end of himself, and that is where God wants us to be for him to work. On the contrary, the Pharisees had thought themselves righteous and thus remained in their sin. This statement would have angered them greatly. Their attitude towards God was that of idolatry of self. How thankful do you think these men were for the works of God? Obviously not very much. I could care less if the man was healed. On the other hand, how thankful do you think the man was in the story to be healed of his blindness? Imagine if you were to become blind, but you had your vision prior. At least you would have had knowledge of colors, objects, and people. I mean, this man was bl blind from birth, so he would see everything for the very first time. I'm sure there's much more to the story that went on with the man's response than what's actually written in the chapter. Otherwise, it would just be long and drawn out, right? But think about how amazed and overwhelmed he would have been to just take in everything around him for the very first time. Before this, he would have been solely dependent upon charity of others because he couldn't work. Now, he was able to work with his hands and even have a family. I wonder what this man did after this story took place. I wonder if he would become a fervent Christian and even maybe a future pastor in the early church. We weren't even given his name because the focus wasn't to be on him, but of the glory of God. It does make you wonder how the man lived his life with God after his healing. I will say this, that his answer to the Pharisees in verse 25 was absolutely astounding. Let me read it again. It said, he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. This could really touch all of us as we remember the day that we became born again, the day that we accepted Christ. It is such a powerful message that, that we'll preach even today, 2,000 years later. 
is also a focal point for us to remember what God has delivered us from and that the con and what is actually the consequences for our sins. When we forget this, we have nothing but our pride and arrogance that leads us from there. In the name of God, we can, you know, do things for him, but is in fact not really for him, and so we can end up like the Pharisees if we're not careful. We have to keep in mind that the response by Jesus at the end of the chapter wasn't attacking a person for seeking personal holiness. God's first and foremost attribute is holiness. Number one, holiness defines all of his other characteristics, like love, for instance. God is love, but he's holy first. Holiness defines love because love needs further definition. Now, the Pharisees would do many good things in the name of holiness, and Jesus commended that. But Jesus addressed their hearts on the matter. Look, God tells us to do things and not to do things to help us be holy before him. And, you know, if you adhere to that, those are good. But we shouldn't let them confuse us into thinking that we're something without God. Just because you follow a bunch of rules doesn't mean you're actually holy. And you know what? This is actually very easy to do. And you can put on a show in front of everybody else, but you know what's going on in your life. And you know what? We have to guard against this. We really have to strive to have a spirit of humility and remember what it was like to be blind and without God. It will keep us in a state of gratitude towards our Savior and really remember his rich blessings. At this time, the Pharisees had a blind religion, a false faith in God where they had deceived themselves into thinking that they were spiritual. We have to be careful of that as well. Having a relationship with the Savior is not just a list of following rules, but is understanding God's principles set forth from the foundation of the world. It is understanding that our purpose before him as we walk through this life is about giving glory to him. We each have a story much like the former blind man. Like I said, we don't even know this man's name. He's just the blind man and the not-so-blind man afterwards. That's all we know about him. But I'm sure that this man had no clue that we would be reading about him and his faith thousands of years later. That's amazing. Each of our stories is playing out now. And we have to decide who we're going to be like as related to John chapter 9. What character do you honestly, honestly identify with? There were so many similar stories in the Bible of God working through men and women who choose him. Meanwhile, there are many stories much like the Pharisees as well, where such are condemned in their sin before God. As King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there truly is nothing new under the sun. Man yesterday is the same type of person and has the same type of issues today. So who are you going to be? The thankful and humble person before God or the condemned wretch who wants to do things their own way? Only you can make that choice. Only I can look at myself and make that decision of who I choose to be like. 
I hope that this was an encouragement and a blessing to you in your Christian walk. I want to thank you for listening and be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, ourmightyfortress.com and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.